I'm Emily Kyle, and this is Local. This is a conversation with Aboriginal Pakana writer. Adam Thompson. Adam and I recorded together while he was on residency through the Unconformity in 2021. Adam Thompson, the beginning of you starts where? Where were you born? Okay, so I was born in Perth in Western Australia. Yeah, my mum's from Launceston and uh, she just went over there for work when she was young. I think she was maybe 17 or 18. And she met my dad over there and he's from Hobart. He was living in Perth and they hooked up and they got married and had me and they separated straight away. Yeah. Mum just, you know, not long after I was born, she she uh, whisked me back to Launceston and my dad stayed in WA and, yeah, and I grew up in Launceston. Mum got remarried when I was about five and uh, we lived in East Launceston. I went to East Launceston school and, um, and yeah, and that's pretty much my early childhood there. Mm. What's your mum like? My mum's passed away now. I'm um, sorry. No, it's okay. But yeah, she was she was a really nice lady. Um, she died when she was fifty, back That's in two, young. Yeah, two thousand and eight, and uh, yeah, but no, she was she was really cool and uh, had a lot of health problems at the end of her life, which was sad. Her quality of life wasn't that great, but yeah, she's um. She's uh, always in my thoughts, Mum, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that you're, not to jump too far ahead, but I did notice that the book is dedicated to your mother. Yeah, yeah, I, I did dedicate it to Mum and, you know, I mean, part of that was because, you know, Mum was cremated and we never had a plaque or anything for her and I always didn't feel right about that and so I, I knew that someday I would have and I guess this is, this is, you know, that for her, you know, this is like her kind of memorial in a way. Yeah, her honouring. Mm. That's really beautiful. Does that mean that your mother wasn't able to meet your son? Correct, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, <laughs> she would have loved, you know, my boy. Um, and, you know, I, and I knew she wanted me to have grandkids. And when she was alive, you know, I wasn't anywhere near having kids, you know. <laughs> I had a few girlfriends here and there. I always had a girlfriend, but wasn't really in, in any real serious kind of relationships and there was no kids on the horizon. I know that disappointed mum a bit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's the way it is, I suppose. But she would have loved my boy, yeah. Hmm. I don't know what your personal beliefs are about the afterlife, if one exists or doesn't exist, but um, I... I feel my great-grandmother with me. I, I feel her sometimes. And um, there's a part of me, I don't know if it's because I 
need the comfort, but um, there's a part of me that deeply believes that the people that haven't been able to be in my life or <clears throat> in Henry's life, they know and they they see him and they cherish him. Mm-hmm. That brings me comfort. So I hope I hope that's true for you. Yeah, I, I certainly feel like, you know, even though Mum wasn't around when when you know when Sonny was born, um, that she still knows him in a way. I guess it's hard to explain. Probably what you're saying, I kind of feel like she's about not that far away. Yeah. Mm. So uh, what about your biological father? Is there any relationship between the two of you? There wasn't. Um, you know, he, he he wanted to continue a relationship with my mum. Uh, their lifestyle, that you know, they had a mm. bit of a party kind of lifestyle and you know, and when I was born, I think mum just wanted to get me away from that. And, yeah, I don't think my dad really had a choice whether he could be there or not, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I have a relationship with him now and um, that I we, we've kind of established as, since I've been an adult. And, um, and you know, and that's that's pretty cool. We're kind of like mates. He, mm. he lives in North, the Northern Territory. So, yeah, so we, we're mates and, you know, he, he's met Sonny and, uh, and yeah, that's it's 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 good, you know. I'm I'm not having any complaints about that. Um, yeah, it's something I've never really had any control over, you know. Mm. Uh, but, but yeah, we've we've got an alright relationship now. And the men your mother married was that a strong relationship, or did you yeah look, push was, back a bit? Or? <laughs> no, not at all. He he was great when I was a kid. And him and my mum separated when I was a teenager. It's a difficult time of life for me, you know, as, as a teenage kid, you know, a bit rebellious. Mm. Um, we don't have much of a relationship now, you know, both gone our own ways, I suppose. It's a shame. Mm. It is. Mm. So growing up in Launceston, what kind of era are we talking about? I mean, I'm not, you don't need to say your age if the you 80s, want to. The 80s, of course, the, the 80s. The 80s, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that was my childhood was the 80s. I was born in the late 70s. But, you know, the 80s, is that's that's my childhood and, you know, and a teenager in the 90s. So I've kind of got the 80s and 90s under my belt, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is cool. Quite good era, so I <laughs> think of them fondly. <laughs> and what was Launceston like at that time? Were you Were you in Launceston that whole time or did you bounce around a little bit? Yeah, look, I don't think I really left Launceston until it was 1988, actually, the, the centenary, the bicentenary. I remember we we went to Queensland for about a year and a half, like on a working holiday with my stepdad and mum and myself and my brother. He's seven years younger than me. I think I must have been in about grade five and we went and lived in the Gold Coast for a while Lived in Noosa for a bit, Port Douglas. Very different. But, you know, like, yeah, it was very different and I'd never really, I think I'd been to Melbourne when I was a little kid once. Yeah, but it was it was cool. I mean, and, you know, we rented a house with some friends on the Gold Coast and then we lived in a big tent in a caravan park in Noosa and then we took that tent up to Port Douglas and lived there. And I went to school 
at each place. We went. I went to three schools oh, wow. while we were away, and it was a yeah, it was an interesting experience. I, I think that kind of um, you know because living in like Tasmania, growing up here, I find that people have a people who never leave here when they're young, they get this mentality of kind of closed in and a, a mentality of like lack. And it's not until you leave Tassie and experience, you know, other parts of Australia or the world that you get a sense of a larger place and and an abundance mentality and a, you know, a, a sense that there's opportunities out there. Mm. Um, so, you know, I guess I've had that, you know, since then, you know, coming back and then, then you know, skipping forward a bit, I, I must have been about 19 and I left again and that's when I went up to meet my my dad for a couple of years, two years, and went to, to North Queensland, came back after two years and then um, around the time my mum died, I went away to the Northern Territory for a couple of years. So I think two years is about as long as I can spend away from Tassie because <laughs> um, this is my home. But, you know, I've been overseas a lot as well, so... Yeah, and I, and I always found I had that kind of difference perhaps with my cousins and other people in my life that I grew up with that they hadn't really left. So they had a different attitude towards things than I did. I had more, it was a bit more adventurous uh, and I had kind of more open horizons than them. Mm. Mm. And I can imagine perhaps people in Queenstown here where we are um, who've lived here all their life maybe have a similar kind of outlook perhaps to some of my, some of the people that I grew up with who had never left and they don't have a worldly view. Mm. But, but I'm, perhaps I'm just generalising too then. Well, you know, I think that it's, I think that it's interesting because obviously there were people that were living here, but from, and, and I don't know, very much about the history, what what's true and what isn't true. But obviously there were people who were living here and then with the coming in for the mining, so there's always the, the focus on the mining, but, but then coming in for the hydro, there was at a time an influx of new people that were uh, erecting new infrastructure all through the West Coast and making these big changes. Uh, all of a sudden there were more schools, things like that. And then when the hydro moved and went somewhere else or everything got sort of shut down, the mine shut down, people, some people waited, some people left immediately, you know, some people waited and then eventually left because they just couldn't, couldn't afford to be out of work anymore and, then, and, and some people stayed. Some people have families that have been here five generations, mm-hmm. six generations, you know. But as as time moves on, I think it would be interesting to see that as as a trend, as how that evolved. But it does seem that as time moves on, more and more people are leaving. Of course, the you know the mountain wasn't providing the money or the security anymore, mm-hmm. so you have to go and find it somewhere else. But um, no, I, I think I think you're right, and it's interesting this. Having lots of conversations lately about the idea of isolation. What does isolation feel like? But I suppose if you've never had any desire to go anywhere else, 
then it doesn't feel isolating. I'm not sure. Like if you don't know any different. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, just... perhaps. Yeah. It's hard because I've never been in that position, so mm. I don't know what that's like. No, no, mm. neither am I. I can only try to guess, try to guess and understand. Mm-hmm. So in this time in Launceston and some other places, moving around, coming and going, did you have any inkling towards creative making? Um, you mean as like a kid? Hmm. Or yeah. just growing up? Just growing at any point. No. Did you have an idea of who you wanted to be or what you wanted to do? I thought I did. I thought I did, actually. I, I was an only child until I was seven. So, like, part of my childhood, when I think back to it, I was by myself, you know, I had my cousins and stuff, but I lived, you know, in my household. I was the only kid. And then my brother came along. And so, you know, I've got that those memories and that experience of having a sibling. Um, but, you know, I remember for that, it seems to me that that first part of my life um, had more an influence on who I am now, I think, as being an only kid. Mm-hmm. And I was really a little bit like my son is now, I mean, because he's an only child. But I, I was very imaginative and... You know, I, I liked my own company and I still do. And I, I was introspective and, you know, I was creating kind of stories and creating worlds and, you know, having th- that really imaginative play, you know, and, and, and that coupled with a, you know, a reasonably exciting kind of life. Like I used to go out with my stepdad and, you know, we'd, we'd always be up in the Central Highlands because his parents had a shack up there. And he, and he was into hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff. So we were always out doing things. So I had this kind of imaginative kind of personality and then coupled with kind of all these cool activities. Yeah, so even though I wasn't, I didn't really have um, very many creative outlets back then. Like I can't go and I can't say that, you know, I was a writer as a kid. I mean, I, I was a real reader, like a real reader and you know, lived in books, but I didn't really have any aspirations to kind of write any more than any other school kid is made to mm. or does until I was an adult. I always admired writers and I guess in my mind I always kind of thought that it would be a cool job to create stories and and that, but I didn't really act on it. Like I felt the pressure of school at the time and then going into high school that you had to have, you know, it was like trades were out. They're mm. kind of back in again now. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, it was like this pressure on everyone, all the kids to go to university or some sort of, you know, secondary education. And my mum, even though she wasn't kind of like an academic person, expected me, you know, to, to go to university. So, you know, I kind of felt like I had to find something there, you know, some sort of, you know, kind of traditional, you know, role, job. So, you know, I, th- I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll become a nurse because, you know, everyone told me that's a cool job and you can travel around and it pays okay. So that's what I decided that I was going to be. So I went went to college and did, you know, pre-tertiaries and did all of the right subjects and everything and then went to university and 
I, you know, I discovered <laughs> kind of during that college process and that, you know, this different world of being an adult and, you know, and, and sex and drugs and partying and making your own decisions. Uh, and I just, I, I just wasn't doing very well academically. Mm. And so eventually I just felt like it was kind of pointless to keep studying. And so I, that's when I went to Queensland and got to know my dad and got a, a taste of the, you know, the real world, you know, working and uh, just having experiences outside my hometown. And, and that's the best thing I could have done. You know, it it strengthened that um, that that abundance mentality, that you know, open horizons that I was speaking speaking about earlier. You know, seeing so much happening, like coming from Tassie, where you know, to get a job, someone had to die. <laughs> you know, that um, to going somewhere like the Northern Territory when things were getting built and there was stuff happening, and there's a transient population. And people, you know, people coming and going and it was easy to get a job and it paid well. You know, it was a completely different experience from Tasmania where it was like you were told, that, you know, yeah, if you had to get a job and you had to stick and do it all your life and seeing, you know, people around me, adults, the same. You have to pick a career and you got to get a job and stick at it the rest mm. of your life. And then going up there and learning, oh, no, you don't have to do that. You know, there's, it's a different world, you know. So that helped to change my mentality. And then I think that aided my kind of me having a creative outlet. And when I moved back to Tassie after I was in the Northern Territory, I started getting into video editing and film work. And that that was like my creative outlet for a fair while, this, you know, editing videos. And and then in a, straight after that it was, you know, I got into writing. So I kind of found something there. And that led into the writing and that seems to be where I've slotted into. I think so often we fall prey to the expectations of the people around us. What society says, this is what you have to do. And if you don't do that, I think often there are social consequences for whatever reason, you know, whatever they are. So for you to leave university especially something that I feel is highly valued, like nursing, caretaking, to leave that to go Northern Queensland, Northern Territory. Was that a difficult decision for you to make or, or, or was it just like this, oh, if I do this, I'll feel relief? No, it, it wasn't a difficult decision in the end because I felt like I was just, was pointless what I was doing. I mean, it was hard to tell people like my mum and that, look, I'm not going to university anymore. But it, I didn't feel like I kind of had a choice. It was like, I've got to do something else. This isn't working. You know, mm. there was too many bad habits that, that I was participating in. I had to have a big change, you know. And so I was able to do that. I was able to change some of those bad habits just by going into a different environment. So it was kind of hard in a way, but, yeah. But not difficult to make the choice. No. It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like being in a bad relationship and it's that you know that it, you know that you've got to separate but mm. it's just the inconvenience of doing it mm. it's the inconvenience <laughs> of having to you know separate you know your, your things that you've accumulated together the 
you know, the emotional attachment, even though you're kind of fighting all the time, but you've got still got a, an emotional attachment. Yeah, you he know gets that, half of the bond. Yeah, you, you know that you've got to do it. And when you finally make that break and you look back and you go, yeah, I made the right decision. So that's exactly what it felt like for me. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good to hear. Those are the ones you want to hear about. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting moving into this video editing, videography place because that narrative plays such an important role in that kind of work. So moving on to this place where you are the in complete control of the narrative uh, makes that seems like a natural progression. Born into this, this is your first published book, is it? Correct, yeah. And it's 16 short stories, yeah. collection of short stories, which at the artist talk on Thursday night when you had said that it was a collection of short stories, I just, I was so excited. I mean, I love a novel, I do, but there's something about a short story. What is, you yourself said how much you enjoy short stories. What is it about a short story that you that you like? Okay. Well, you know, there's, there's the things that I enjoy about reading a short story and there's the things that I enjoy about writing a short story, which some of them are kind of the same. I like, I like a short story because, you know, w with a novel, you invest, like reading a novel, you invest a fair bit of your time into it unless you're like a speed reader, which <laughs> I'm not. You know, I guess if you, as a writer, um, if someone's investing a lot of time in, you know, a body of work like that to read it, you're kind of obliged to kind of wrap it up in a pretty neat little bow <laughs> at the end. You know, they've got to have a satisfying ending. Mm. Otherwise, they're going to think the work is shit. You know, I mean, because I've read novels that were great, but they had a shit ending and I, I know. it's kind of ruined it, you know. I agree. Whereas with a short story, you know, you can have a, an ending that's that's not so satisfying in the same way. Mm. can be satisfying in a different way. And I like a short story that at the end I I kind of think I know how it ended, but I maybe have to read the last page again or something like that. I like to think of the story after I've read it. And as a writer of short stories, I try and create that. I like I try and create a story that people will think about, you know, hours or days or whatever after they've they've finished it. So whether that has a bit of a twist or some sort of, you know, emotional pull or you care about the character or you're, you're thinking of what happens to them next because it might end abruptly or a bit of an ambiguous ending. It's all very deliberate in the story's creation. And I also like, as a reader, to be fully immersed in the work and with a novel, you know, you're picking it up and putting it down, you know, and so over the course of days or weeks or however long it takes you to read it, you're always breaking out of the story. Whereas a short story, like at the length that I write, you, you read it in a single sitting. So you're immersed in it from the start to the end. You, you know, you're not breaking out of it. So I find that full immersion in that story. I think that that has a power in that. In mm. you know that you know you, you don't break out of the story, but you know at the same time you've got to have economical language. You've got to um, you have to keep the, the the reader interested as well, and you can't have language that's kind of jarring that breaks people out of the story either. You know you've mm. you've got to you've got to craft the story so that people kind of stay in that that fictional dream for the whole thing. 
I like that you said dream because, again, we had only met a couple of days ago and that all of this getting together to record has happened very quickly, but there is there is this dream-like quality about these stories, especially the, particularly the stories I've read from your book. It's both, it feels both incredibly familiar and unfamiliar, which, I mean, that's not a great way of saying that, but there's this quality sort of being being a white Australian and thinking about, as I was saying to you, about living on that, living on that island, growing up on that island for a few years, going away and then coming home back, back to there as an adult and experiencing it and in some of the stories when you're talking about the tinnies and the way that the waves move and it reminded me so much of, of that place. But then when you're sort of listing, naming these different types of vines and um, different grass fields and different animals that I've never known the names before. It does feel like both, oh, I can see this, but then in terms of language, it feels far away. So it's it's home and it's (laughs) not as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, you know, this. I mean, it's Tasmanian Aboriginal content and contemporary and and a lot of these places people will never get to I mean there must be maybe four or five stories that are maybe set around the islands in Bass Strait Mm. and these are islands that are Aboriginal owned we've got rangers who you know look after them some some people live on some of them some don't they're kind of isolated and they're so unique you know full of all our history and our heritage and they're just amazing places to write about so you know some of the terms, some of the, yeah, like you said, the grasses and the, the vegetation, mm. just some of the characteristics are going to be foreign to people. But I kind of feel like that I'd like to bring them into that world. Absolutely. Um, because they'll never experience it any other way, really, most people. There's the first story, something about it that I really liked. Um, I mean, I like the story, but the ranger makes a decision to go somewhere without the knowledge or say-so of the other person that he's with and um, brings the group to this place and, and it feeling like he's in full control and, and, and that also the reason that he's doing that is some sort of punishment <laughs> for bad behaviour on the group's behalf and, mm-hmm. and then tucked away in safety later on, he realises that, you know, it wasn't, the way that he expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Have you had those experiences in in your life? Something you thinking that you that you know something is some something going to be the way that you have known it to be, only to later realise that it's changed. It's different. Yeah, absolutely. I know that feeling, and I've had that experience. I'm trying to think of an example. <laughs> um, but I think most people would be able to relate to that in some way, I think. Um, Do you think that it's in part in this story his ego? Yeah. You, you know, well, that, that Uncle Ben, you know, the character, he's, you know, cynical. He's been around the block. Mm. Um, he's kind of jaded and cynical, set in his ways, stubborn. And 
yeah, he's, I guess he's using his knowledge and his experience to manipulate the situation. And that happens. You know, my characters are quite flawed, you know, mm. in the whole book. And it doesn't paint this kind of rosy picture of what Aboriginal life is like, Tasmania or anywhere. People have this kind of, often people write in this almost like a romantic notion of that life's noble or romantic mm. where, you know, I find my characters are kind of, they're strong, identify as Aboriginal people with knowledge, but they're in this society where there's, you know, different values, some shared, but some different values. And so they're kind of grappling with these situations. And that's what life is like for a Tasmanian Aboriginal person. It's having a strong identity, yet kind of living in two worlds and dealing with everyday situations in the best way that you know how. And it's, it's kind of hard, you know, um, and things don't always turn out right and, you know, it's a battle, you know, we call it the struggle for a reason, you know. You know, we, it's a struggle, it's a battle all the time, especially when you're political, when, you, when you're trying to pursue the interests of your community through different ways. It could be, you know, like Ben, you know, he's like being a heritage officer in his job, trying to protect his heritage, taking people around, like instilling knowledge and culture into youth. He's seen it all. And so you kind of get a bit battle-hardened, yeah? Mm. You take, you can't separate your kind of, you know, your work life and your home life, you know. You, it's kind of like using myself as an example, you know, I work at the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre, but I'm part of that community as well. And so, you know, you're battling to try and change things, get a better deal for your community, have your rights to be recognised, change the date of Australia Day at work. But then that's what you do at home too. That's, you know, you can't switch that off. And so, and I, and, you know, and people do, I'm, you know, it's just a reality that people use their, uh, people in my community, not, not everybody, and it's not always in a harmful way, but we, we, we can use our identity and our heritage to kind of manipulate the situation. And that's what, you know, Uncle Ben's doing in the story. But then again, you know, with him, and I don't want to give too much away about that story, you know, he kind of second-guessing himself because he's, his knowledge, because the world is changing as well around him mm. and we're seeing, you know, climate change and where he expected to find a particular resource that wasn't there. Yeah, so how long can he rely on that experience and knowledge? Mm. So, yeah, that's why, yeah, my characters are flawed. They're just trying to deal with the situation the best way they can. But, you know, it's a good thing. I, I like writing with flawed characters and I don't create any heroes. And I think that people can relate to flawed characters because I think as humans we're better at noticing and acknowledging our bad characteristics. We can point bad things about ourselves, out about ourselves than we can good. I think we're more, yeah, I think we're just, just, we're just that way. 
You know, it's hard sometimes to, if somebody says, say, what are your good characteristics? It's kind of harder to do that than to list your bad ones. So, yeah, I think people relate to flawed characters. I think that makes them more human and I like to write them and I think people like to read them. Mm, I, I completely agree. Is it, um, I, I said it incorrectly earlier, another short story in the book, is it Time and Tide? Mm-hmm. There is so much in that story. That one really got me. I don't know. I, I find relationships between fathers and their sons uh, very complex and um, very interesting to read about personally. And obviously the, the son is going through a lot of changes. It, you know, you don't get his exact age, but he's moving He's moving through a lot of things, a, a lot of heavy things. Um but the the treat, there's a chocolate in the story. And I think I keep coming back to that moment of it it it, it, it for me put him in this state of being like a small child, mm-hmm. just wanting the treat. <laughs> so that there are these, yeah, talking about the flawed characters and talking about the experiences that they go through. But even as you're writing these characters and these events that are, a lot of them can feel really intense, you do offer the reader a little bit of comfort in, in small these small ways that let you know that everything is still okay, everything's all right. Mm-hmm. There is still some goodness in the world. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, you don't, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, there is... <clears throat> There is goodness in the world and love and beauty and all of those things. I think there's plenty of that in, in this book. Mm. Um, so it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster, yeah. the whole thing. But I you know, bet, I bet. I think I'm going to have to, I, you know, sometimes I, I'm happy to sit down and read a book in a whole sitting, which I think you could easily do with this one. But I think emotionally, I might I might need to give myself some breaks mm. <laughs> between. Yeah, as an author, that's one of my primary goals is to make people feel something. You know, that's because I write what I like to read, and when I I like to feel something, I just want to I just want to read words in a page and a plot, you know, in a mm. story. I want I want to feel something from that. You know, I want to be emotionally connected to the situation or those characters. I want, to, I want to care what happens. And so that's what I attempt to do when I'm writing. You said before about feeling, you know, taking your work home with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what your words were, but I, I the way that I um, internalised it was feeling um, a sense of responsibility to your community. So working on a novel like this, on a collection like this, I imagine feeling that sense of responsibility at times could be difficult. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, did you feel at all that you were representing your community with this book and through the writing of these flawed characters, did you have to grapple with that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it wasn't my intention. It's kind of hard because... In a way, I wanted to represent these kind of fictional characters from my community. Um, but I I didn't want to feel 
uh, it's, it's, it's hard to answer because I, I kind of, I'm in two minds about that. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't feel it was my obligation to represent my community in this work, but I knew that just writing about Tasmanian Aboriginal characters and coming from, you know, a job and um, a role that I've got, it would be interpreted that way. So I was conscious of that. The other thing to remember too is, you know, I didn't just sit down from start to finish and write this. You know, I, re I read, read different um, stories at different times mm. and I've written other stories that aren't in here. So there was a point where I kind of gathered all the stories together. And when, when you do that and you look at them in, in its entirety and you go, wow, you know, it kind of is representing a community when you're writing about these characters and these situations. People will see it that way. And I, and I liked that about it. I was like, okay, that's cool. But I wasn't sure how my community would respond to that um, because, you know, people do care about how they're perceived, you know. I, I guess I was like, when, when it came to publishing this, I did feel that feeling in, in, in my stomach, like, oh, geez, I hope the community are going to come on board with this. I hope people aren't going to stand up and go, that's not what we like and mm. what right have you got to, to write this stuff. But I didn't experience that. And, I, and all I had, all I've received from my community is support. They, they loved the work. The people who have read it, I haven't had any negative stuff. Perhaps there's some people who, you know, because I hate, you know, what are we call imposters, people who say they're Aboriginal and they're not because they mm. are out there, they exist. Okay, that's yeah, reality. Yes, and I give it to them in the book, mm, you know, yeah. and I give it to them in real life. So, you know, they're not part of our community anyway, but they're not going to like it. <laughs> but um, I've, only, I've only had good feedback from, from my community on the book, um, which is great. I'm very yeah. relieved at that. Um, having flawed characters isn't about making us look bad. No. I think it's about making us humanising us because that's what people are really like but there isn't this kind of one type of aboriginal person that you know we just like anybody we have a history and a heritage and common interests but we individuals too have different views about things so you know i think that for what it is i think i've done a reasonable job and other people seem to have think that too. So, so humble, a I'm reasonable job. <laughs> kind of glad for that, I suppose. You know, I, I do believe that there are a lot of reviews on the back of the book here talking about, I mean, evocative, drenched in swagger. <laughs> <laughs> I was very lucky to have such amazing endorsements for the book. Mm. You know, I've got, you know, Melissa Lukashenko, Ellen Van Nieven. Tony Birch, you know, Kate Kennedy, Bob Brown, uh, Tara June Lynch. You know, like, mm. wow. Uh, like I just, and then, you know, I, I was very lucky to get the University of Queensland Press as a publisher as well. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, they distribute the book to get endorsements. And I was involved in that as well, like, you know, because I've got, you know, I've got a connection with Bob Brown. So, and I suggested sending him an advanced copy and, and, and then. What that, is your connection with Bob Brown? Just 
just through working on campaigns through the Tasmanian mm. oh, Aboriginal yes, Centre. Yes. You know, we work, we kind of work together on things. So, you know, and you get to know people through yeah. that through that space. Uh, and I'm a huge admirer of Bob and all he's done, you know, for the environmental movement, the green movement. So, yeah, look, just obviously lucked out with the publisher. I mean, I lucked out getting a publishing deal anyway. It's not an easy thing. Getting a great publisher like the University of Queensland Press with all of these amazing authors that they publish and amazing Aboriginal authors. And, you know, so, yeah, it just it all came together really well. And um, then, you know, I've had good reviews too. Um, again, so I feel very lucky about that. And yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of strange, you know, at first I was reading the reviews because I'm all new to this. I haven't <laughs> been writing for that long my first book and when the reviews started coming in, it's so exciting, you know, wow, wow, you know, that people are talking about my book. And now when I read it, it's like, oh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, cool, no worries, you know, because I've kind of, the reviews start to sound very similar after a while. Mm, Sure. Because, you know, people are just saying similar things about the same work and in a different way. At some point, what else is there to be said? Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's kind of... But they do. I mean, the, people could talk about my book way better than I can. <laughs> you know, I can't, you know, I'm not a book reviewer and I'm not an academic. Um, so it's interesting to hear people say things. And like I said the other night at the hall, often I kind of feel like I'm being psychoanalyzed. That the, the things that these reviewers pull out of about me, about the author from the work. Yeah. And I think, wow, I didn't know that I did this and I didn't know that I created male characters like this and female characters like this and um, what does that say about me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's, yeah, that's another interesting side of things as well. But there is so much of, even just talking to you now, there is so much of you in what I've already read of the book, you know, the the story I was reading before you arrived at the house tonight was just... um, Bleak. I'm sorry, my mind is broken. Bleak. Is that bleak conditions? Yes. And in that there there is a mention of um, having a second child mm-hmm. and the person not wanting to have that conversation. And <laughs> you know, I'm thinking just earlier you had said that, yeah, that just like in your life, your brother came along, he'd already been a single child and, and accepted that and and then there's a little bit of tension happening. So it's and also your your work on the islands yourself as a that comes through in the first story and so there is so much of of yourself so in some way I guess you are exposing to these critics little pieces of your psyche mm-hmm. for them to pick at and see who is Adam how did this how did Adam come to deliver this mm-hmm. yeah I mean as a writer you kind of steal from here and there, you know, you steal from life. You, I, you, know, you said that at the yeah. at the hall and I did want to say to you, I, I, I'm sure that 90% of other writers would say you draw inspiration from different places from the world and I, I do love that you, you specifically say steal. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, well, Stealing is probably not the right word because stealing implies that it belongs to someone. Mm. You're taking something that belongs to somebody else. Where in reality is, you know, you're just kind of catching little 
sections of your life and things you see and experiences you've had and kind of using that. I mean, what else can you do? Like you can't just, even if you think you're making something up out of nowhere, it's still, the idea still comes from something you've experienced in your lifetime. So, yeah, it's a it's a work of fiction, and you know, I absolutely, I'm in. I am embedded into the work mm-hmm. because how can you not be? Um, so situations that I've I've been in, people that I've met, you know, you fictionalize it, and you and, and that's that's what you do. I've had people say to me, "This isn't fiction," you know. <laughs> how can it be? Because the, the characters feel too real, and. Mm. Uh, and, and I take that as a compliment. I think, oh, fantastic, because the characters are fictional. And if people are saying to me, oh, they feel too real, and good, I, I think that's good. That's what I want. I want my characters to be real. It's not easy to, to, to develop characters in such a short period of time, you know, no. because you still have a story to tell. You can't, it can't just be all about a character. But some of the feedback that I've had is that the characters are well developed. So I'm glad about that people find the characters to be believable and real in such a short story. Absolutely. You're definitely dropped into their lives. It's um, They're fully formed creatures, fully formed humans in fully developed worlds. And, and yeah, you're absolutely just dropped into a moment of one of them. Mm. And perhaps the secret of that is writing from experience and that's where... You get it. You get a sense of authenticity. I think because it's, you know, it's it is based on things you've perhaps experienced or done or seen or whatever. And so, yeah, with with with, with that comes that authenticity. This might be a bit of a cheeky question, but have you taken anything from, or borrowed or caught anything from your son? Um, maybe in that story, Bleak Conditions, um, there's a, a child mm. in that story. Um, perhaps, you know, in a way, but not so much his personality, just the way he moves and mm, does things. I was just thinking that. You know, movement. jumps on the bed and, you know, how he kind of has a close relationship with his dad, you, you know but not so much in his personality. I mean, I started writing these stories, I think the first one I wrote in 2016, and Sonny only would have been about two, mm. and his his personality wasn't kind of well that well-developed, you know, he's this little toddler. Um, I think, yeah, not, not really that much with him. Mm. Blows my mind a little bit, you know, you begin writing these stories. You've had this life. And you begin writing these stories with a toddler in tow. I just, it's its just funny how sometimes we just fall into things and people talk about the, the idea of perfect timing or the right timing or sometimes it just, just happens. We could keep talking about this book, but um, you're, you're here at the moment through the Unconformity Residency. Mm-hmm. Um, here for a short period of time and then away and then back again. Um, 
what are you doing? What are you doing? What have you done here? What are you thinking about here? What are you looking for out here? Okay. So two things, I think. Well, two main things for me. The first was, you know, having a kind of full-time job and a busy life. That Having that time and space to write is not always easy to get. So when you get to come away to a residency um, and have that block of time to write, it's helpful. But it doesn't always work out. It's not always like, okay, I'm going to be away for a week. I'm going to write solid for a whole week. Like I can't do that. Mm. Um, And I do have stress. I'm a kind of a stressy person. (laughs) And, you know, the work I do, like I've just come out of NAIDOC week, you know, so the week before I was here was NAIDOC week and, like, that's a really busy time for me and in my job and with my community. You know, we had heaps of activities and and even leading up to NAIDOC week, you know, just all the organising and the kind of stress from that. Um, so the first part, you know, of, the, of my experience here, because I come here for a whole week, was really de-stressing, was to kind of get all of that out of my system, to be in this different environment. Um, and to, I think, you know, if I had just spent, gone home and had a week off at home, I, I wouldn't have had the same experience because part of de-stressing and, and everything for me is coming to a new environment and exploring. And as it happened to be, you know, my son's with me at school holidays and he could come. So, you know, me and him, and we bought our bikes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like we're kind of getting around and looking at the town and he's full of wonder at this completely new place, this completely new environment that I'm, I have been here before but not for a long time. So I'm kind of getting his wonder and his experience too. And so that was, has been really good just to kind of chill me out and enable me to you know, focus on my new work and to get into some writing. So, yeah, I've been writing while I've been here, exploring, spending time with Sunny and meeting fabulous people. And did, we did that community event. I've been to people's house and, you know, just meeting people and, and getting all this inspiration, all these characters that have got these, I don't know, cool ways about them that I just love to steal, <laughs> to capture, you know, for, for some of my characters. There are some strong characters here. Yeah. And just in the environment too, I really love this environment. I love that the bush here and we went on the train Um So, you know, it's really about getting ideas and inspiration and just chilling out and getting some writing done. That's that's kind of what it was for me. In terms of the landscape here uh, in Queenstown on the West Coast, how does it differ for you uh, from from the the smaller islands of the northeast coast and and from Launceston? Yeah, it's completely different, you know. Growing up in Launceston, you know, the, where we would go for our holidays and Easter and any time you went camping, whatever, it was always on the East Coast and then and then a bit later on the islands. But there's similar environments, the islands and the East Coast of Tassie. Um, you know, very much, you know, granite kind of, granite coastlines, white beaches, that, you know, shrubby kind of coastal vegetation. Sounds quite picturesque. Yeah, it, it is. And on the islands, you know, you've got the, especially the mutton bird islands, you've got the, you know, the large, the mutton bird habitat, you know, which is predominantly kind of poa grass. Um, and it's completely different than here. You know, this is, this is a you know, really dense 
tall vegetation here, very visually, very kind of dark, dark green, dense, wet, you know, like the water's very pigmented and that kind of rainforest meets the sea. It's completely different than the, 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 than the East Coast. Uh, so, you know, I, I love... Um, I love thinking about that environment and I'd love to weave some of that into my work. The novel that I'm writing now has a quite a kind of significant portion of it that's set in the bush. Mm. And I'd like to be able to use this type this type of bush on this west west coast as that. Because I think it has qualities that lend itself to the story a bit more than the the uh, the east coast vegetation does mm. and um and just the richness of characters in these areas too fantastic and you know and you get some pretty strong like I'm running anybody down and certainly not so much here but up on the northwest some very strong characters um when I say strong like bad people you know mm. very racist Mm. Not not here in Queensland. I haven't encountered any of that, but I certainly have up in the northwest. You know, when it comes for some of the campaigns we've been doing to protect Aboriginal heritage and that, you know, kind of bad like people you really wouldn't want to cross. You know, well, it. I, I hope this doesn't. Yeah, I don't want to come across negatively when um when I first came to. Tasmania, which was not that long ago, we've been here three-ish years now. Um, I spent one night in Launceston with my son and then we came to Queenstown and we've been up to Burnie a handful of times, but, I, I mean, I haven't been to Hobart. Um, and the one thing that I noticed about Queenstown very quickly was how white it was coming from living in city areas it's just not something that you see that often. You don't come to a place and it's just very white. Yes. And um, not having travelled, uh, you know, and I say I've been to Burnie for the day and going up there and coming back in a day, you don't see that much. It's all very full. And I guess, I, I guess to some extent I do assume that the rest of Tasmania is, is like it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that I'm wrong, but, um, having been and lived in a lot of different states, I, yeah, it, it was surprising. It was surprising. It caught me off guard. Mm. You know, there is little pockets of Tasmania that, that some of the population have, you know, good and bad characteristics in one, like, like Queenstown, like. Just, I've met so many wonderful people who invite you into their home, mm. you know, just give you the shirt off their back. But I've seen other people and experienced other people that are the opposite, you know, they don't want you here quite obviously, you know. But as a writer, that's not a bad thing. You know, this is two opposing kind of forces almost and, you know, that's what I want for my story. You know, you've got to have these strong characters. Mm. So um, certainly not running anyone down, but yes, the, I, I, I like that it's got that um, as a you know somebody gathering information for a book. I like that it's got those two different strong characteristics or forces. I'll use that 
Mm, I like that. Yeah. Um, well, we've been talking for quite a while. Um, I have started to ask people when we wrap up, um, which can be a difficult question, but I feel like everybody's really taken it in their stride. Is there anything that you haven't said about yourself, your experience as a writer, um, about the book, uh, about your experience here? that you would like to say? Um, well, I mean, there's heaps that I could say. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hard bit. But I, get, I feel like I definitely would like to say that I very, feel very privileged and very grateful to the unconformity for giving me the opportunity to be down here on this residency. Mm. Um to create that residency for, that I apply to, to have those aspirations to want, you know, to assist Aboriginal people to, um, you know, have the time and space to, to, to get on with their work, to showcase it. Um, because, you know, in the arts world, it doesn't matter what sort of, you know, you have to, you know, you've got to apply for stuff and it's kind of hard to make a living sometimes. Mm, I mean, I, I certainly... Don't make a living out of the arts stuff. I have I have a day job. Um, so you know you rely on all those little things, and so yeah, absolutely. I'm really grateful for that, and you know for the people within that space, like you know Linda and Pete and Purcell who have provided the accommodation, and you know all the people, all the staff at the Unconformity that have been so helpful, and the, the people in the town even, you know, yourself for kind of valuing me being here and wanting to kind of engage with me. You know, I feel really grateful for that. It's It, um, it, in, it improves my experience of being here and uh, I'm already looking forward to coming back. Can't <laughs> wait. Um, I kind of wish I'm not leaving because I'm really starting to get into the flow of my work mm. and I, I did have a real block on my novel before I got here. Um, part of that was, yeah, kind of to do with just the stress of life and all that stuff, you know, and whatever, not having the time to ride and whatever. But um, some of it was kind of a bit of a lack of inspiration and, and that too. But since, yeah, since I've been here, I've been working on it and it's been great. I've got heaps of good ideas. So leaving here now, I know that I've, mm. I've got so much to work on and I've got a good chunk of my book to continue with, which is really good for me. And I can't wait to come back. Um, yeah, and I, I just spin. I'm very impressed with the town. Um, I've been here for probably ten years, and I can just feel the change here with um, a really cool art scene and a cool vibe. Um, it's yeah. There's heaps more I could say about everything, but mm. that's. I'd like to leave leave it on that note about this experience. That's really beautiful. I think um, <sighs> gratitude feels good to receive and it also feels good to, ex you know, experience, it, to feel gratitude. is It's a lovely feeling. It's one of the good ones. Mm -hmm. If people want to read your work, uh, find you, talk to you, uh, where can they do that? Yeah, cool. So the book's 
very widely available. Um, so, you know, all big bookshops have it online or in the stores. How cool Look, is it to say that? <laughs> I know. It's, Your it first cool. book. Yeah, it, it is. Um, so, you know, just Google it, Adam Thompson, Born Into This, you'll find it somewhere. Um, but in like in Tassie, it's at all the all the bookshops. And Yeah, go it, to a bookshop. Yeah. And, you know, all the independent bookshops have been so supportive of this, like Australia-wide. Mm. And, you know, w- while I have been down here, it's it's been released in uh, the US and Canada. So on the 13th of July that happened. So while I was down here, so that's pretty cool. That's very exciting. So for, like internationally now it's available. You're an internationally known writer. <laughs> it's kind of weird looking at it like that, but I, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting the feedback from the US. I've seen some reviews already. They're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty widely available. There's also an audio book for people who like to listen to audio books. Um, Did you record it or was it someone else? It's No, someone else. So we, um, <sighs> the, the rights, the audio rights were sold to a company and they got this Aboriginal um, actor and just this fantastic guy by the name of Mark Cole-Smith. That's fantastic. And he, he he did, and it's fantastic. He's got an amazing voice, like way better than mine, of course. <sighs> and so he 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 did the the audio book, and it's fantastic. There's an ebook as well for people who like using Kindle or mm. whatever. Um, so you know, it's pretty widely available, and the libraries have it too. So yep, it's out there, and get your hands on a copy. Yeah, and I'm also on Instagram. Um, Adam underscore Thompson underscore author and on Facebook as the same. So fantastic. people can let me know what they think. Yeah. It's great. I like talking to people on Instagram. That's fantastic. And if uh, anyone is in Queenstown and wants to borrow my copy, they are more than welcome. <laughs> um, Adam, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. It's been, been lovely. enjoyable. Thank you. This was local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat, nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Gortz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or localthepodcast on Facebook and Instagram.